Regret Snoopy presents the Bible. I have another very special guest today, somebody who I've known for quite some time and who I admire uh, quite a bit. We have Ashley from The Nice People Show. Um, welcome. Thanks for being here with me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're involved in right now and how faith plays a part in your life. Well, uh... <laughs> Don't mean to put you on the spot. That's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> um, honestly, what, I live in my parents' house. Um, I In my childhood bedroom. It's actually, technically, it's not my original childhood bedroom because that's now a closet downstairs. But I, uh, I have that sort of, you know, boy wizard oppressed, like... Uh, my parents shoved me in a closet. I grew up there like a, you know, like a plant that is like struggling to um, find the shards of sunlight in a dark place, you know, me in my closet bedroom. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Totally. Like you grow and you you become warped because <laughs> you're in it's such a, a It's a sad thing. but beautiful metaphor. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So my original childhood bedroom is actually a closet, and uh, I no longer live in there. But when I was 14, my parents, they moved me upstairs, and my grandmother used to, this used to be her room. We lived with my, my grandmother lived with us, rather, for um, my entire life until she passed away when I was a teenager. But so they had a, an in-law suite downstairs, and they moved to a downstairs, and I got the room upstairs. So I'm on the third floor of this house by myself it's the room with the attic in it and it's like you know it's basically exactly the same as it was when I was younger except um I put up a bunch of Beatles posters that's the main difference Mm. and uh and it's like cleaning my room recently has been just like going through stacks and stacks of garbage and um trash papers that I scrawled on insanely when I was younger and like just being confronted with how mentally ill I was so to speak before I got brain surgery so um so that's what I'm involved in mostly is my parents house um where I live and uh and you know what else is nice is that I have like my I have a lot of my grandmother's things here like um statues of the blessed mother and I actually have a really big one that's kind of framed in a way. It's like in one of those, I don't know what it's called, but like inside of a case, basically. Mm. But it's a big statue of the Blessed Mother. And then some other ones that are like smaller, the freestanding. There's one that when I was a little kid, I actually knocked it over and I broke the hand off of it by accident. But I still have that one that used to be in this room when, you know, when she was alive and like it was her room. So... Anyway, this is a rambling answer that doesn't make a lot of sense, huh? But um, what your faith plays a part in your life uh, in in like prayer, obviously, uh, given what we're gonna be doing later on. But 
uh, also with the icons. And icons are something that I think are kind of a, almost a divisive thing in, in the modern Christian church because um, uh-huh. the admiration of saints and like Marian devotion still is a topic of uh, discussion amongst people who, um, while I think it's totally um, you know wrong that they're uh, they're claiming this, that they see it as some kind of idolatry, and I, mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't imagine thinking that way, but they do, and so it's interesting that that is um, you know they obviously play a big part in your life. It's funny because I, I mean I, I get that because they are statues and the statue is a statue, but. I'm a kind of uh, painfully sentimental person, and objects take on certain meaning to me, which of course this is, I'm far from the only one in the world for whom this is true, because it's true for almost anyone, but it's like, I I have like almost a pathological at times attachment to objects where I sort of um, give them feelings that I know they don't have, like an example of this. Because it's funny, I have these statues in my room, and the ones that I have here I have because they were my grandmother's. I don't have any of their icons. I, I used to collect icons for years. And a lot of them, some of them are in my storage unit where I used to live in Los Angeles, but a lot of them are just in the house mm. where I used to live, where my partner died. And, um, and, and what's, but, so an example of that, though, is like, you know, I feel for the statues that are left in the house. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel for, there are a lot of stuffed animals in that house. I, I didn't get to move most of my things out. I only got to move certain things uh, as much as I could in the limited time that I had. And, um, and I left some things behind because they were like, I didn't know if I could take them or not. And I just didn't feel right to take them or leave them. And it's like, you know, that sort of paralyzing indecision. So, so I just left them. Mm-hmm. But certain things like there's a, I have a little bunny rabbit here because I have a lot of stuffed animals too. I have this bunny here that is like a, it's blue and it has like um, gingham or whatever ears, uh, like a plaid <laughs> pattern almost, but it's like, you know, they're blue and white in the inset of the ears. Mm. And um, it's an Easter bunny. My other grandmother, my mother's mother, gave that to me when I was uh, recently, it was a couple of years ago, because it was for Easter and on Easter she still gives the grandchildren things. And since we're, but my brother and I are grown, you know, I'm 25, my brother's 27, and, um, but she still gives us things as part of Easter. And actually, that year that I got this must have been uh, maybe two years ago, maybe three. Um, Angel and I were together, and, and she was invited to Easter. She came with me, and my grandmother got her a bunny, too. Mm. And that bunny was green. And it's similar, it has the gingham ears. And, um, you know, in that house in California, the last time I set foot in there, I mean, I saw that bunny, I took mine, but I didn't take hers, because I couldn't take hers, because it was, cause my grandmother gave her that bunny, it was for her, it wasn't for me. So I couldn't take that away from her, but, you know, I still feel crippling guilt over that, over the fact that now the bunny's still there, and it's going maybe to be thrown away, and it's like alone there and it's such a sentimental object you yeah. know but it wasn't intended for me it wasn't my thing to take or to you know so i left it but it's re- it's so weird so i mean that's like a form of you know that's like an unhealthy attachment to objects probably so i, I probably have that with a lot of uh religious icons too but these ones at least i feel like 
I have the excuse, the ones that I have with me. I'm like, these belong to my grandmother, so I can have this kind of weird <laughs> attachment to them. Well, I think that, like, you know, you're, you're pathologizing it, but that sort of displacement of emotion and sentimental um, feeling and spiritual feeling for some objects is is like a displacement of uh, a true and, and good and right emotion so like mm-hmm. I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that I mean it can get um, torturous right because if yeah. you if you let it eat away at you like that I mean I'm not a psychologist I'm I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> messed up in the head myself <laughs> but I I do think that um, uh, it, it's it's an interesting practice um, and um, that's very cool thank you for sharing I mean I know that some of that stuff is difficult to talk about well, it's just my life now I mean it, there's it's better I, I, I kind of say this sometimes but I, I think it's true like it's uh, it's better sometimes to deal with experiences by turning them into something else and it creates sort of like a literary distance from them where Mm -hmm. like now it becomes part of a story or it's like a novel to me as opposed to actual feeling and sometimes also just to communicate a feeling it changes the feeling for you but I'd like to think that these things that I've experienced have some kind of beauty or meaning in their horror (laughs) (laughs) I um you and I have been talking about doing this episode together for a while now and um you played a like a really big part i think in in me like deciding to go forward with something like this this project <laughs> really yeah you did and i mean like i said i'm i'm inspired by i, I admire like your work and i am um, i'm inspired by your uh sort of outlook on the world and 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 your output into the the creative world so um when i i was almost thinking like um no matter what passage we're going to go over it's going to be awesome like this is going to be great but um i chose psalm 139 which is a psalm of david um for a few reasons uh, because it tackles some issues uh, of like sovereignty of god and of um like omnipotence and omniscience and it also uh covers um interpersonal uh hatred and interpersonal emotions and it talks about hell um but not in the the hell sense of eternal torment and damnation like uh we get later on in the bible um but just as this sort of mystical underworld which is a very like a pagan um notion and one that was you know rich in the tradition of like greek gods and things like that but um it's referred to here as like this realm that god oversees along with heaven and earth and i found that really really interesting too so um i'll just i'll just dive in we have some Mm -hmm. some fun stuff we'll do later on too um but i'll just dive into the psalm here uh it is psalm 139 uh titled in the esv search me O god and know my heart to the choir master a psalm of david O lord you have searched me and known me You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before 
and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So the prayer is already being built. The first mm -hmm. part of a prayer, traditionally it seems in, in most Christian, um, in the Christian tradition is um, the first part of it is uh, revering the power and the knowledge and the glory of God. What was your um, first impression when you were reading through this, uh, when you when you saw this particular passage? Well, I have maybe a, I don't know if it's a good tendency or a bad tendency, but I, I have the, the, you know, I tend to be reminded of other passages in the Bible because in school I studied mostly the Old Testament, um, in particular the major prophets and the wisdom literature. So there are some um, similarities in what is being expressed here to like, uh, I mean, also the Psalms are like poetry, and this in particular reminds me of the poem in Ecclesiastes about uh, God setting the time for everything, you know, the time for planting, the time for pulling up, etc. Mm. It has a kind of similar rhythm to that, and a also a similar sort of um, understanding of one's place in the world, so to speak, because you know when I sit down and when I rise up, and you know, similarly, like the planting, the pulling up, you know, the setting and the rising. Um, but then there's then there's also a sort of reminds me of um, Deuteronomy, which you know one of the great passages in Deuteronomy is the suffering servant, and I'm pretty sure. I mean, I could be wrong. But I'm pretty sure that the suffering servant though begins with um, the discussion of him inside his mother's womb and this uh, statement that the Lord knew him and named him before he was formed in the womb or before he was ever a person. He was known by the Lord. You know, and the Lord chose me for such a purpose, even before I was formed, essentially. So mm. it reminds me, even before a word is on my tongue, you know, you hem me in, etc. And I, and I think also that the psalm continues uh, talking about the speaker in his mother's womb. So in a similar yes. way, it's it's like, because the Lord truly, like, uh, he, it does know us, even before we were formed, I mean, he knows the substance which makes us, and, and then, of course, there's the creation story, which, of the two, I guess it's more like the second one, there was the priestly one and the Yahwist one, see, there's me, wow, look at me with my degree, um, <laughs> this is the one, because <laughs> if you think about it, my life's been pretty sad, it's been pretty ugly, and this is like the one thing where I get to I get to say, oh, I have a degree in this. Oh, look at me. <laughs> look at me and my degree. Look at what, all my accomplishments. I know the difference. There's the two creation stories in the Bible. But in the second creation story, that's when God is forming man from the earth and he breathes the breath of life into him. So in the very literal sense, this is the substance of which we're made that the Lord knows and has gathered together to create us. Mm. And it's... um. The, the, the use of language in uh, the, th I want to say, third stanzas where they kind of discuss being formed in the womb and things like that, the use mm -hmm. of language there is really interesting, and I, I want to dig into that later. Um, the CEV, which is the Contemporary English Version uh, translation, uses a different um, sort of phrase when um, this passage about when I sit down, when I rise up. Mm -hmm. It says, you know when I'm resting or when I'm working. 
And I thought that was an interesting liberty to take. And I don't know um, if <laughs> there is any um, like scriptural basis for um, going with those words instead of just sitting um, and rising up. But um, I, I, I found that kind of interesting. And it, and it makes it more, almost more um, palpable in, in that way. Mm-hmm. I, you know when I sit down and when I get up, like, who cares? Why, why would you want to know when I sit down? Okay, you're standing now. <laughs> right? look, look at that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, this next stanza talks about hiding from God. And as somebody that um, kind oh. of, uh, I kind of, in a way, I think I was hiding from God or I was purposely avoiding spirituality despite the fact that it's like interwoven into my family history and everybody mm-hmm. uh, in my family practiced in some capacity um, and I was you know raised in the Catholic Church I I actively disavowed it mm-hmm. and so he reading this passage and and there was a couple of passages that came up in prayer plans that I'm doing with a couple of people um, that came up today about Peter and his doubts uh, like when he's walking on the water uh, or walking across the water to Jesus mm-hmm. and um, when they decide to um, stop fishing and Jesus says, no, do it one more time. Go out there, cast your nets out. Y- you'll get the fish, trust me. And he goes, oh, no, we've been fishing all day. That's crazy. Uh, and, of course, lo and behold, the nets are full of fish. The nets are ripping. They're so full of fish. Mm-hmm. So, like, reading about doubts in the Bible and how people overcame them is super important to me. Uh, so this is uh, Psalm 139, um, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol is the underworld. Mm. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God knows all, God sees all, right? Right, it's, it's true, we can't escape. It's, I mean, that's... <laughs> as, as horrible as that sounds, you know, we can't escape. Um, it's I never, I didn't... I have a tendency to do this, too. I never really answered your question earlier about what, what role does faith play in my life, but it's really like... It is like that. It's an inescapable thing. Like, my my parents are sort of agnostic. I don't think they would say they were atheist, and I think part of the reason they wouldn't say that is because they're afraid to offend me amazingly. But um, it, it isn't... They're like, oh, yeah, well, that's great for you that you you make this choice to believe in this thing, you know, is how they present it. Like, it's, uh, it's fine for you that you make this choice. Yeah. Well, it's not a choice. No. It's not a choice. And if, if I could get rid of it, I would. <laughs> <laughs> you sound a bit like Jesus there. Unburden me. Unburden me. Take this <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel, yeah. I always, well, I think, except for for me, I think of the Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, the what is it, the 1971 film or whatever, whatever the film was where it's like that rock guy is like, take this cup away from me for I don't want to drink its poison. And he's like doing the rock and roll screams. Very cool. Jesus Very Christ. cool guy, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know all the words to that. I used to listen to it all the time. 
I've been listening you know, to a lot of Godspell lately. I, I, I love, love Godspell Christian too. musical theater is so good. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a... But this is me, like, I don't think I'm autistic, but I think that perhaps... Well, maybe it's just the internet's poisoning my mind, making me pathologize my tastes or whatever, but but I'm, like, very particular about what version of something I like to listen to, and mm. I'm like, there's one version of Godspell, one version of Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> um the Godspell we had on VHS, and my parents always say, my parents always say like, oh, a Godspell, yes, that's, we made you and your brother watch that when you were children, and you were so nice to each other for one day. <laughs> you know, they're like, <laughs> they made us good kids for a day. God is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we became Christian kids for a day. That's my, you know, it's funny, my parents, as, as agnostic as my parents say they are now, they're the reason I'm a freak like this. They made me watch Jesus of Nazareth, like the 12-hour series when I was like eight years old. That's what, good education. What are you guys thinking? <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's inescapable. God is a, it's the all-seeing eye. I mean, but more than that, I mean, it's like no one. That's I I suppose that's the role of faith for me because no one understands one better than God. You know, no one can possibly understand me or know me better than God could. In in very literal sense of creation, sure, but but even just emotionally. You know, things which I cannot express to anyone that I can't make understood, they're effortlessly understood by God. Mm. There's a lot of language in this, too, that's very physical. Um, the hem, hemming, you hem me in behind and before, that's um, verse 5. Uh, but then also, your right hand shall hold me. Uh, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There's a lot mm. of this kind of um, like big guy hugging you kind of uh, <laughs> uh, language here that I find, um, given the context uh, that we now know from episode two about David and you know his feelings of strong masculine bonding with people, um, it, it's, it makes perfect sense. Uh, which is very, very cool to me. The more I read this book, the more it all kind of comes together. Um, okay, so verse 13 is the next stanza. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them so the story is already written mm -hmm. I, I find that a troubling concept but also a comforting one right because I want I want to think that well since you know we are given free will as human beings mm -hmm. that I want to believe that I have some kind of agency over my life and, and the outcomes of my life and um, you know I've been blessed in ways that I never imagined were possible for me I mean I genuinely thought I wouldn't be alive by this age so mm -hmm. it's to me like nice to know that well this is this is how it was written so you know that's good and i i struggle with this sometimes this is a, this is a part of faith that i doubt a lot and and something that i have to go back to scripture on because i do sometimes you know the um that nick cave song 
uh, into my arms. I don't believe in an interventionist God. I hear a lot of people talking uh, mm-hmm. about uh, God in that way, that God is here, God is a spirit, but he really can't work for you. He can't, he can't act on, on your behalf, and that, that's um, sad when I hear people talk that way. Mm. Um, so the, the phrase inward parts is odd to me. Did that take, did that take you back at all? Because that to me struck me as kind of strange. I mean, it's a strange, um, well, the thing about translations too is that we, we don't always know exactly what, because uh, I, I mean, I never got to that point of scholarship, I suppose, if I continued in school, which, but there's no point to it. My, my parents are always like, you should go back to school for business. And I'm like, <laughs> so what? I would go back for biblical criticism. And they're like, okay, I can't never mind. think of a more evil path. <laughs> they're like, never mind, don't go back to school. <laughs> Like, as soon as they're like, oh, you should go back to school. And I say what I would want to study. And they're like, no, never mind. But it's like, you know, if you, in theory, you get to that point of biblical criticism and then you actually learn the languages and you look at the source text and then you can kind of piece together more meaning. But we we tend to, you know, a lot of translations are like retranslations of my, <laughs> sorry, the cat's on my bed and he's licking himself and scratching himself. If there's any <laughs> weird so noises... Tra- it's not me, but he's in here today. I prefaced one before we before we signed on to the chat too that I have a I have a very um who everybody heard in episode one, uh, I have a very uh, reactive dog. Uh, he's a rescue. He's a very very sweet dog, but he barks at literally everything that he sees outside, and so uh, it's okay. I understand. <laughs> yeah, usually, I don't don't let the cat in here, but he's so lonely. Like he's demented because he's really old, and and I and I like. I relate to him. I feel I understand what it feels like to be kind of like a demented animal who doesn't understand what's going on. So I want to, uh, since I have of the two of us, I have more constitution myself. I want to provide comfort for him. So I'm letting him be in here right now. Of course, that's fine. Cats are cats are lovely <laughs> creatures. I had one for years, um, and uh, yeah, no, don't don't worry about that. If there's weird noises, though, everybody. Yeah, it's animal We're not sounds. licking ourselves. No. It's, <laughs> it's the cat. We're civilized, yeah. <laughs> Us two intellectuals. But, uh, so with um, the, just the stupid point I'm making, though, is just that translations, uh, sometimes they're retranslating other translations and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, it's just interesting to see how they, in different ones, what they are approximating, like what, you know, what they're trying to get at. So I, I take inward parts to mean, I guess, not only bodily, but the substance of the person. Yeah, in the CEV, which I referred to earlier, and in the voice translation, it's like very cut and dry. Um, The voice Mm -hmm. says, for you shaped me inside and out. Um, You knitted me together in my mother's womb long before I took my first breath. And uh, the CEV says, you are the one who put me together. So... Mm -hmm. I think, despite the fact that it's a really odd turn of phrase, that might be like uh, an idiosyncrasy of the ESV, which does, you know, does take a few liberties sometimes. And I get the sense that they were really trying to create a translation here that was not just biblically sound, but also like literate mm-hmm. and um, and like pretty, um, kind of like the King James version. I mean, the story of that Bible yeah. is actually really interesting, and maybe we'll do a. 
maybe I'll do an episode on that at some point. But um, so, in the context of, and this is, I'm I'm gonna turn this inward just uh, for a moment because I've kind of referred to like who I am and like my particular position in society and things like that before, but hearing that God has created me from from the very first cell to be who I am now and that the story was written it's really odd to read as somebody who you know is transsexual like I mm-hmm. I I hear it and I go but but it was wrong right but I had to mm-hmm. I had to change it um but I guess then you you turn the page back even further and you go well yeah you did because that's what you were meant to do because the story's already written. It's such a strange thing because I, when I feel like we probably have a really similar view on, on this, like, because there's there's two sort of like two extremes, and neither one is good. There's like the ultra conservative, pseudo trad, whatever Christian, uh, thing where it's like very homophobic, whatever, whatever, like yeah. pa- patriarchal, but in like a very it's very cringy and like very incestuous. Westboro Baptist Church compound style. God don't make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking your... Oh, I just said a curse word. I'm sorry. (gasps) It's okay. We've had a fuck in in one and two so far, so we're we're okay to say. Oh, God. I didn't want to be the one. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, well... But, you know, uh, having relations with your, like, child brides, whatnot, uh, who are also your, like, nieces or something. My point is just very sick, sort of, like, Christian cultish, like, uh, ideology. And then... On the other side, you have the stupid, like, <laughs> like the pro-LGBT Christianity where it's like women can be ministers and even queer and also Jesus is queer and blah, 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 you know? So then it's like, like okay, one of, the, one of the best anecdotes I have for this is five years ago on Christmas Eve, Midnight Mass, this is towards the beginning of Angels My Relationship, we went to this church, we used to go to it all the time, uh, for years in um, Philadelphia, and mm. we went for midnight mass, and it's like a very formal, but it's an it's an uh, Anglican church. She was into the Anglican church because she felt like they were less, and they are they were less judgmental, so she felt more comfortable going there, and she could take communion there, and would refuse to take communion when we went to my church, the Ukrainian Catholic or the Roman Catholic churches, mm. because she wasn't like properly baptized. You know, I had baptized her actually, so mm. she would take communion at Anglican Anglo Catholic churches. So we went there for Christmas Eve, and I remember it was two of us and a friend of ours uh, from Twitter who was also sort of like a gender nonconforming person. But it was the three of us, and we weren't acting any sort of way. You know, we weren't we weren't being visibly whatever on purpose. Oh my God, that's the cat. He wants me to let him out. <laughs> I thought it was a I'm, baby. That's my cat. God, that's my seventeen-year-old cat. Do you mind if I let him out? Go for it. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, okay. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cats are God's creatures too. Yeah, this is why I don't let the riffraff in. Usually, when I'm recording, they're very disruptive. But um. <laughs> Anyway, so we're the three of us at this church for Midnight Mass, and again, we're just three sort of naturally androgynous people. We're not trying to be, but it's just sort of the condition that's foisted upon us, right? 
And I remember at the end of the mass, this person who was, I'll just say it very clearly, like a woman who was trying to be sort of alternative looking, uh, short hair, mousy glasses, you know, came mm-hmm. up to the three of us. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hate this so much. She came up to the three of us, stopped us as we were trying to leave, and said, hey, <laughs> she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I I feel I'm so glad that y'all are here. Y'all. I'm so glad that yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm so glad that y'all were here and I, I just wanted to say it makes me feel so much more safe and comfortable being here cuz y'all are here. You know, like thank you whatever. Like shoot, it just on it I it was something along those lines. Where, yeah, calling us y'all gratuitously and like yeah. thanking us for our visibility and we were just like oh my god. Like, I hate you so much. You're a horrible, <laughs> horrible person. So anyway, this to me, it illustrates kind of like the pitfall of that because I don't, I don't, I don't fit in with the church as it is. The church's values as they are, like the, the family idea, the roles of men, women, I don't really fit in with that. And naturally, I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not like the cringy person who's trying to subvert and undermine Christianity or things about the church because those things are transcendent. We don't have to politicize those things, actually. No. We don't have to make them LGBT, whatever. We don't have to. It's better to just be who you are. It is better to be who you are, and yes, it's it sometimes can be very difficult when you are in an institution that you know, where you come up against that in an unpleasant way because, yeah, people are very still very hateful. And it's like you don't choose to be hated. We're not going out of our way to exhibit ourselves, to identify ourselves as a minority, but we're naturally like this. So it's like you want to, of course, be somewhere where you're comfortable, but my God, I hate to make a show of that because it's just detracting from the point. You know, there's like when you started saying about, uh, you know, there's, there's these two sort of opposing sides. Uh, of the super traditional and and cringe in its own way kind of um, ultra conservative uh, church, and then the um, flying the rainbow f- flag and trans flag <laughs> outside of their church <laughs> type church as well, and yeah. that you know when you said well in you know women can be ministers and so on, so like church. yeah yeah women can be ministers absolutely <laughs> and I I support gender equality in, in that way I think in the church but. It comes to a point where um, we don't need to rewrite it all. Mm-hmm. We're already picking and choosing with the Bible. Let's be real. I mean, like, there's plenty of things in the modern church, even in ultra conservative parts of the modern church, that oh, they're sure. not following anymore. So mm-hmm. it's okay that there are parts of the Bible that you don't uh, totally, you know, agree with or or um, or see as you know, maybe it was a reflection of the society at the time mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily the word of God because we know that the Bible was written by people. Yeah. Um, and their, their prejudice is going to show through no matter what. But we don't need to remake the entire um, belief structure. And, you know, it's funny you brought that up because uh, that story that you told because I had kind of a similar experience but, like, flipped on its head at a Catholic mm-hmm. church in here in Portland where I live, it's like, you know, obviously a very liberal city. Um, like, Id Pol runs wild here, and uh, and it's like the most important thing to anyone at any time. But we went to a, um, a Catholic church, 
in a you know a fairly well-to-do neighborhood that sort of puts itself out there as like being the progressive Catholic Church in the city. They they walk in the Pride Parade and they they do you know all these social events and things like that. Um, but I go in with my partner and um, we sit down and like I I joke a lot about how I'm like a non-passing trans woman. Like I'm not I don't. I'm not fooling anyone. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not a joke, but it is, it's kind of funny because like, I've, I've decided this life for myself and I think it's the right one. And I think it is my Mm. path, but, um, no one's, no one's convinced. So, uh, we sit down in this church and, and, and the mass was, it was nice. It was pretty. The layout of the church was very strange. And at the end, these two older, uh, gay guys walk up to us and they're like, we're so glad you're here. There is a gay men's ministry that you can be a part of. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> um, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Why do people do this? You know what would be so great? If they just left know. you the hell alone. That would be so yeah, great. That would be so good. Like a simple, a simple peace be with you right. would have sufficed. That's it that's all you have to say um. <laughs> that's what i don't understand it's like you don't we don't want to be part okay here's the thing right i think that it would be great i love when churches when they have the traditional liturgy and they do the sacraments and they have the great aesthetics and they have good music and so it's like things that kind of happen the way they're supposed to let the mass just be its self-contained idea like it doesn't have to involve a community because there are some of us in the world who don't belong to any sort of community we just don't yeah you know you can't be part of society and i'd argue even that um and like i'm not saying you know this is how i feel about myself like i'm kind of on the margins of society i I don't fit in in the world for so many reasons but i feel like uh, there's even a grace in that actually in being a truly marginal person there is some kind of grace and it is a very it's a very sort of like I don't know, spiritually charged position to be in. So mm. it isn't like we're left out, you know, by not being able to be part of a larger community or a congregation or feel at home or at place in a large group of people. It's more like we're chosen out of the world <laughs> to be hated <laughs> and, and alienated and despised, but that's a, that's also something that Jesus said to the apostles, you know. They will do that, yeah. yeah. This mm-hmm. is why the world hates you. So I've always taken it as like, okay, I'm out of place in this world. I don't belong to this world. And if I did, it would love me as its own, as he says, but it doesn't. So this is actually like a sanctified position. So I even think that, and I, I, I don't want to, I hesitate to say things like this because I know that the Idpol people, they take these things and run with them. They're like, yes, there were transsexuals in the Bible. And yes, we're all been trans for all this time. And it's like, no, 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 stop. Please stop. It's like, yeah. it's not, you don't have to rewrite history, but it's like God did make us the way that he did. I mean, God made people the way that he did, all of us. I mean, God made me, I, I have a horrible disease I was born with, a genetic disorder. And I've been like my entire life fighting. I had brain surgery seven months ago today. So it's like, do I disavow my life? Because I'm like, from a evolutionary standpoint, kind of a <laughs> runt or cripple, you know, it's like, do I uh, disavow my entire life? No, because there is something at work that's greater than what I can possibly conceive of. God made me this way for a reason so that his works can be demonstrated through me even. So 
you can't I mean it's such a difficult thing socially to, to be like in that position but you know I, I don't think it's incompatible with religion I guess is what I'm saying absolutely not and I think that like if you're the sacrament stance is a sacrament like you said it's um, let the mass be the mass and then when you want to discuss the intricacies of the modern world and how that plays a part into faith then leave that for Bible study you know leave that for for discussion and groups outside of the service itself and, and then maybe that's just like my own like conservative elements showing through and I'm not a conservative overall I am by a long shot but there are parts of me that really hold true to particular traditions and I find them like sacred yeah uh, they're sacraments <laughs> right they <laughs> are sacred literally and like there's nothing wrong with them being sacred too and and this yeah. is a great thing especially the way the world is today you know it's so funny like you say you're not conservative and I'm not technically I'm not conservative either but there are things that my very conservative grandparents I mean we get along swimmingly you know we get along great I love my <laughs> grandparents but they're like extremely conservative and uh, you know they're and uh, very Catholic and um, always they're into the Fatima thing. My grandmother's really into the Fatima like prophecy about the end of the world and its descent into immorality and whatnot. And it's wow. like I t- I'm like totally with her on that. I'm like yes, you're right. It's happening. Like this is the this is Fatima. This is what Fatima foresaw. We didn't change as a species. Humanity is doomed. You know. So we have these conversations together, and I'm always like I'm with you. I'm with you, but. Um, Truly, the world is in chaos, and the world continues to sort of circle the drain and descend into greater and greater chaos. Perhaps this has always been true, but I think more than ever, we're like very alienated. There's like a lack of, it's a real spiritual dearth in the world, I think, more than there was previously because it's been supplanted by things like technology and whatever. But, you know, the ancient traditions are, or the ancient sacred traditions are great because this is the one thing we can still hold on to that is real and it connects us to all of humanity throughout time. It's like a thread. It's like the only thread. And one of the most comforting things I ever heard when I finally, re- I mean, you hear it a million times in the liturgy, but um, for when, they, when they're talking about all those who've fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection. And it made me realize, I remember it was literally 2017, it was like in September of 2017, I was with Angel again, we were at the Ukrainian church in Philadelphia, and I remember hearing that, I heard it a million times before, I knew it by rote, but for some reason when I heard it that time, I thought, it really is, all of us, it's we're, it's all of us together, the congregation, it's not, only, it's not only us who are alive and who are present, but all those who have fallen asleep, all those who have died, they're all part of us, we all come together in union via things like the communion, these other sacraments, you know, this is what unites us throughout time, so we're never apart from these people because of this thread throughout time, so that's why it's like, don't mess with the traditions. These are the things that we have. This is the only link to the past that we have or to the, you know, what's greater than us transcends us. Absolutely. I, um, it's, I don't want to say that, like, we shouldn't be, um, we, we shouldn't be afraid, like, really, we shouldn't be afraid to be, mm-hmm. uh, to be skeptical and critical. And like I was mentioning, doubt is, is, part of the Bible it's right oh, sure. it's right there in there but there are um, there's something so beautiful about the sort of traditional um, mass that yeah let's not um, let's not mess with it plus I mean is acoustic guitar better than pipe organ no. 
Come I'm on. so glad you said that. Come on. I, <laughs> and I mean, look, I, the theme song, uh, Josh Garrel's version of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus is a beautiful song. It's a great rendition. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, d- does the hair stand up on the back of your neck in any other way like it does when there's like a, a beautiful pipe organ song playing? Mm-hmm. I can't think of a, a, a feeling like that. Yeah. Um, not sure why I went to pipe organ. But. No, okay, you're let's right. let's <laughs> let's keep let's keep reading. The next stanza is very short, so I'm going to go uh, seventeen uh, verse seventeen through twenty two and just read those two stanzas together. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. The men of blood. I'm not sure what to make of this, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds to me like he's justifying like holy wars or something. Well, that's that's entirely true, possible. I mean, um, and I, and I guess well, that's kind of like one of the great pitfalls of of the whole thing. I mean, like you said, uh, which is nice about the Bible. I, I really liked going to school for biblical criticism somewhat because the program I was in we got to understand like the or rather we i was like the only one in it so i got to understand that (laughs) that um the bible is not only a theological religious document document it's not only the 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 doctrine like the word of god but it's also uh sociological ideological you know it's subject to the feelings the biases etc of humanity at the time in that context and then also moving forward but yeah certainly it's been invoked uh you know the will of God has been invoked to justify uh, untold violence. And um, the the wars with the Philistines that we discussed uh, last episode mm-hmm. with uh, the story of Jonathan and David, I mean, this, this is an obvious parallel to that. David wrote this psalm, and uh, they hate you, O Lord. Uh, the men of blood depart from me. Uh, slay the wicked. I mean, it's very, it's just war language, mm-hmm. and the the psalm loses me almost a little bit in this passage because I I'm not a holy war type person mm-hmm. I I don't think the crusades <laughs> were justified <laughs> I don't I don't um, I I'm a universalist in like a very loose um, notion of the word um, but I you know and I'm not like a Unitarian type universalist but um, but I definitely yeah it, it it bothers me to hear him say, well, God, strike them down. God, mm-hmm. slay them. Um, and it almost seems like, oh, but it's because they, they don't respect you. It's because they don't love you like I love you. It's like, that's almost an afterthought. Right. Well, uh, I think that the Crusades were worth it because um, Handel wrote Ronaldo about them. So I think that it's good that the Crusades <laughs> happened because oh, that's God. a really good opera. But, that's awful. Yeah. Well, it's my favorite opera. Oh, sure. No, I'm not saying that the, the opera is awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it makes the Crusades totally worth it because one day they're going to let me play Ronaldo and uh, 
the theater, I guess. But um, yeah, generally speaking, I think that it's hard. As much as I say I hate everyone, because I, I do, I'm a miserable person who hates everyone. It's true. Um, as much as I say that, I, I do prefer the biblical texts that are like much more sort of like, I guess, backhanded about how you can view your enemies. Like in, I guess it's in Matthew. I think there's some mention of it in Ecclesiastes too, but in Matthew, I'm pretty sure there's like a, this passage about, you know, when you're fasting, wash your face. Don't let yourself appear to be disheveled. Don't let people know that you're fasting. Don't let them know that you're suffering. Wash your face, you know, because those, yeah. the Lord who seeth in secret will rewardeth you openly. And it's like, because as compared to those who make themselves appear, you know, like they're fasting, make themselves appear like they're suffering, like allow that to be seen by others, well then surely they've already gotten their reward. So I, I like when the the Bible presents sort of like a more backhanded, healthier way, like, no, no, here's how you'd be better than them, you know, not actually inflicting yeah. upon them, just moderating your own behavior. Yeah, pray it out. Um, the, the other translations that I was looking at earlier are... Uh, essentially saying the exact same thing as, as the ESV here. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of wiggle room with what we take away from this. Uh, CEV says, how I wish that you would kill all cruel and heartless people and protect <gasps> me from them. Right? Well, don't we all <laughs> feel like all... that sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. But um, is that a holy urge or is that the enemy? Right. I mean, the problem is that even cruel and heartless people, how can we define them as people? We don't know them the way that God knows them. I, I've always struggled to, to hate, well, as much as, again, like I say I hate everyone, but I really, in a substantial way, I struggle to, to actually hate anyone. Because even when I was in the sex industry and I had these clients, they inflicted you know so much violence upon me. I, I didn't love them, but... I felt very badly for them. I felt badly for my complicity in it. I felt badly for being part of what would maybe lead them astray. But I even, even just ones who sort of categorically, you know, I was the victim, they were perpetrators. I struggled to feel hatred of them because I knew that at one point in their lives, you know, these men had been children. And it's like, even ones for whom there was no like decisive trauma which caused them to become sex offenders later in life even the ones for whom there's no like real justifiable explanation or excuse there still is a condition of pain you know in the soul to behave in ways like that like you have to be in excruciating pain which maybe they're not conscious of but you have to be essentially dead inside and so even for that suffering I feel something, so I could never hate them. So similarly, it's like, it's very difficult to hate other people. And that's, I guess, a way of having compassion. And sure, you don't want to have compassion to the degree that you allow yourself to be abused by other people or enable them to abuse you. But that's not what it's about. It's just recognizing in everyone there is this fundamental goodness as part of our creation. Um, and in some people, they, they're, they're fallen away from that, and that's horrible for them. It is, and, and th- this is essentially David passing judgment where mm. he doesn't have the right to pass judgment. And ultimately that's what, uh, you know, <clears throat> you can not like, you can dislike people. You, you can, you know, not see eye to eye with them on issues and you can disagree with them politically and you can um, even disagree with them on uh, doctrinal issues. But don't, don't determine that they're evil and wicked. That's not your place to determine, mm-hmm. I, I don't think at least. We're evil and wicked too. 
You're supposed to think of yourself yeah, yeah. as the foremost sinner. Exactly. Because then you're always striving to do better. Um, the last stanza here, the uh, verses 23 and 24, are just a neat kind of little wrapping up a little bow on the, on the present. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So... <laughs> He goes from saying all of these people are so uh, evil and wicked and strike them down, please. But then also, maybe take a look in me. Just, just take a little look and just see if there's an e- the, the voice uses the phrase, examine me to see if there's an evil bone in me. <laughs> and I think that that, that, that uh, use of words is um, weird. But it, it does, it's just kind of like, okay, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a screw up too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I like the, the lead me in the you know the everlasting like because um, eternity like mm-hmm. God knows eternity and ultimately I mean this is people maybe will think it's just such a coping mechanism and in a way it is yeah sure because my life a life like mine I mean it's only shown me how fallible things are on earth and how not disappointing isn't the word but just how fallible how they crumble you know and it's uncontrollable there's nothing I can do about it so it's like my body my body fails you know and various other aspects of my life are cruel and they're unfair so really what we have is eternity and we can't necessarily expedite our death so to speak it's not like you want to die more to be in eternity but in in life I mean part of the purpose of life I think is to reconcile that and to go to God and then when you die you're prepared you know it's odd because I always used to when when I sort of identified as more of like an agnostic or an atheist mm-hmm. I always used to go how, how can you believe that you know with all these terrible things that are happening in the world and and with all the suffering that exists mm-hmm. and and things like that um, and now I mean having suffered through you know different mental illnesses and issues like that and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing with you know the your physical ailments is how could you not that's the reason why I mean how could you not have that solace that's the only thing there is I mean that's and and to have a condition like this it it makes it all the more clear because that's the only thing there is you can't rely on your body you can't rely on the people around you you can't rely on any physical structure all these things are fallible absolutely all of them people die people die unexpectedly you can't know anything like that a building can fall you know you can get sick i mean none of these things are permanent constant and the only constant is god and sometimes that's horribly frustrating because you can feel very alone because you can't see god you know you can't know god in a in a in a empirical sense in the way that maybe you can turn on the television and you know what you're seeing on the television you know Sure. So that can be very upsetting, and I guess that's sort of like the nature of faith, with faith in the absence of, of the definitive proof and total surrender and whatever. I mean, that's something that's horrible, but everybody struggles with that. Everybody who's religious struggles with that to some degree. But it's really, it's really all we have, and I, I struggle to, as much as I am afraid of the uncertainty of my life and the things that I have been through have been so fearsome, I am, I'm unable to sort of become unconvinced of the 
this larger framework of things. And I think the the lack of being able to have like an interpersonal relationship with God is one that there it's like God almost knew that mm-hmm. was an issue, and that's why He sent Jesus uh, to to take on human form and to to walk among the people because then we have like a buddy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have somebody who at least is in a physical form at some point and and speaks the language of the people and and um, is a part of their lives in a tangible way because it is sometimes really hard to hear God even if he is speaking to you um, you can pray and pray and pray and sometimes it feels like you're talking to yourself mm-hmm. and that's fine too I mean I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with talking to yourself but um, not having that um, interpersonal exchange um, can be difficult sometimes to rec- uh, reconcile. And, and David obviously wrote so many of these psalms that are like direct addresses to mm-hmm. God that it's obvious that David struggled with that too. Yeah. I do sometimes think that God speaks to me. Or sometimes I'll have these sort of, you know, intuitive feelings where I feel like I... I feel like things are more certain than I think that they are, that I fear that they are, and things are really, things are really okay. But I'm very, I'm very shaken. I'm, and, and probably at this point in my life, I'm more shaken than I've ever been, ever, which is amazing because, mm. you know, I've really been through some horrible things. It's so weird to think, like, at this point in my life, when I'm this old and I've been through all this stuff, like, I'm so to my very core, just shaken, completely shaken. But, um, what can I do? I mean, there's nothing, there's no, it's, it's horrible, day to day it's horrible, but it also reminds me of one of my favorite poems, I like George Herbert, he's one of the English metaphysicals, and there's this poem called The Collar, and it's like, uh, I struck the board and cried no more, and, you know, he's just talking about how he's going to leave, he's a priest in theory, or he's someone in the monastic life, and he's you know, I'm going to be free as the road, I'll go wherever I want, you know, all this stuff, no more wasting my life, I'm going to do whatever I want, and I will live without any boundaries, and I'll be free from you, and he's really talking to God, and then in the end, he thinks that he hears, I mean, the way that it's written is that he thinks he hears one calling child, and I responded, my Lord, so it's even, not even that he heard definitively someone calling child, but he thinks that he heard someone, And that person, you know, that being God. So it's like that is enough to sort of command him to return, you know, to get out of these fantastic thoughts. And it's like sometimes I do think that I hear something, you know, but it's it's like that's how unsatisfying it is. It's like the, the, the thinking that I've heard something, you know, not knowing for sure if it was real or not, but thinking I've heard something that kind of brings me back. And ultimately it's like, you know, you're you're kind of a you're kind of a slave to this. You're kind of a captive to this, and you walk the path. I mean, you follow the path that you're on. It's a like a shadow of a whisper. Yeah. Some sometimes it's so quiet um, that if you even think that you hear it, you need to listen. Um, and I'm not saying that 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 um, evil doesn't speak to us too oh, sure it does because I think it does mm-hmm. but um, God won't lead you down a, a path that um, 
that will destroy no, you. No, he leads you God. out of the darkness. And that that's the awful yeah. thing for me is that I, you know, I hope it's not uncomfortable for me to say this, but this, I was in I was in hell. I was like really in the darkness. I was really, it was almost like physical in the underworld. It felt like for so many years. And, and I, the path was lit for me. And I had, it was hard to, you know, and that's that, that is free will in that sense. That is free will because I made choices to follow the light out of the darkness. Like I had to make the choices. I had to do it. I could have just laid there and died and, you know, well, died. Yeah. I could have just laid there and died. I could have. And I was going to, if I didn't, if I didn't make the choices that were presented to me, I was going to just mm-hmm. die. And, and, uh, and I didn't. And it's like, the reason I didn't was because as much as I could have chosen to stay, I could have tr- turned away from those kinds of signs and the impulses. It, the feeling was so profound. It, it terrified me. It was, I really saw my death playing out in front of me. And I have reason to believe now for so many reasons that those visions I had were, were just premonitions that they were true. And that they, it was like, this was God telling me I had to change something immediately you know so it's like I followed the light out of the darkness and so I think that in a way as difficult as this is I will just continue to follow it I for one am glad that you followed the light out it's just sad because sometimes people don't yeah getting a little emotional yeah (laughs) um uh, you and um, you and I had been talking about something kind of novel, and that's the um, the idea of praying together mm-hmm. on the episode, which I've never done. I haven't done prayer over Zoom at all. <laughs> I I don't um, I don't even go to a church right now as it is. I listen to mm-hmm. a lot of sermons and I read a lot of texts, and obviously I read a lot of the Bible, but I don't have a lot of people that I can pray with. Um, so I thought that that was a really nice idea. So I thought we would do uh, the Holy Rosary um, in just the first um, glorious mystery. Um, I it could be a very long one. I think if we went through <laughs> all five. So I if uh, if you're all right with that, I'd like to jump in. And um, would you like to do the Creed, or uh, should I do the Creed? Oh, well, it's your show, so you pick. I'll start with the sign of the cross, and you can do the creed, okay? All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So, the first glorious mystery. I have this booklet from my grandmother that she gave me. That's why I'm <laughs> turning the pages. It's okay. I'm reading it on an app. Okay. <laughs> So how, do you want me to say this one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, should we just dive into it? Do you want to read the actual resurrection bit, or should we just go into the prayers? Well, I guess I guess we should read it. I mean, my grandmother's, uh, I like this little booklet. It tells you all about okay. the mystery, so. Yeah, you should. You you should. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, the first glorious mystery is the resurrection. And then the angel said to the women in reply, Do not be afraid. I know that you are seeking Jesus the crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Then they ran to announce this to his disciples. And that's Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 8. And then it has a meditation, so I don't know if I, if I should read that too. It's my grandma's book. I don't think I have that anymore. Okay. Um, so it just says to me to go into the Our Father. Um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Oh, that felt really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother and I Thank you. pray that she calls me every... Well, she calls me like every day we watch the Mass on the EWTN network together. Um, and then she calls me on Saturdays. We pray the Rosary together. That's a lovely tradition. Yeah. I think that's really sweet. And see, even me, even me, the, the you know crazy prodigal Efsler grandchild can be the favorite of the conservative religious grandparents. God is good. Every day. Um, so before I, I have another poem, um, that I picked mm -hmm. out, but, um, before we, uh, go into that, um, where can people find you online or what projects can they search out that you're involved in? Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if you prefer not to plug anything, that's fine yeah, too. Yeah, so funny. I'm so, uh, it's so unnatural for me. Like as much as I am, obviously I'm some kind of online personality, right? But I, uh. It's so unnatural for me to be like a, a a brand of any like to do anything at all, and yet I do things all the time. So, I guess um, my Twitter account is Christ Lover Two Thousand. <laughs> my podcast you mentioned is it's I've never uttered the name aloud before um, yet, but for the first time, uh, it's called the Nice People Show. <laughs> it is very nice. It's a it's a great show. Uh, the episodes that I've heard so far are so good. Are they? Um, everyone sh everyone should go check it out. They're very very good. Uh, maybe I don't know. I'm so I'm so different now. You know I'm uh, all grown up and weird and boring, old. I take great comfort in being more boring than I yeah. used to be. I really do. I think that. Um, all of those things that I thought made me a really interesting person in the past were um, mostly just the self-destructive right? things that I was doing. That uh, it was, um, I I've come a long way. I I'm a different person now, but um, it's so nice to just I have my regimen. Here's when I pray. Here's when I read. Uh, you know, I go to work, mm -hmm. and and I come home. I have a lovely little family here. You know, just me and the dogs and my partner. That's great. So it's nice. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about uh, too, like the um, sometimes I feel like I've lost my touch or I'm not as interesting anymore, and it's because the it's sort of like I mean the, it's because the conditions of like extreme chaos and torture have been lifted. So 
it's like, what do I do with that? It's like you're a caged animal for so many years, and then the cage is opened, and you walk out, and you're like, bare. It's just, it's just grass. Yeah, it's just, but you're <laughs> yeah. like still this like horrible, you know, messed up animal, like shivering animal, and you're just in the <laughs> nice in the nice grass, <laughs> like <laughs> you're like, where's the excitement anymore? <laughs> but it's true, you know, in theory, like that sort of thing is not really sustainable. It's not. And, and I, I, again, I'm not, I don't pass judgment. I, I really try to let people live their lives mm-hmm. and, and let them be who they want to be. Um, but I can't express like how important uh, finding a, a more regular routine and, and sort of ritual has been to my mental clarity and sanity. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful. Speaking of routines, um, the poem I'm going to read to close us today is by Nick Lance. It's from his book called We Don't Know, We Don't Know, which is actually a quote from Donald Rumsfeld. Um, The poem is called What Caravaggio's Narcissus Does Not See in the Water. The inverted heron, the spurious clouds gliding like gauzy parallelograms. In my favorite self-portrait, I stare at my own reflection in the windshield. The finger that points only at itself. Your phone call that led us to you. Jumbled limbs, a delta of vomit spreading through the carpet. Years of this. Hands, a square of naked flank. The ink-dark eye. The first human speech, perfumed, smoke rising over a fire. The first words, soft, stinging, like sea mist. When you live among such abundance, It's easy to believe that there are more shoes than feet in the world. Wherever the heron flies, it is always leaving. On the seafloor, there are worms that can feed on the carcass of a whale for decades. Their children drift in the dark currents, pale motes of hunger. Thanks, everybody.